That's why you yell. Actually, I was a resident Jew told me I need to add a hayra. Is that right? I, I'm better? I, a little better. Thank you. Thank you for not correcting me in front of everybody. Uh, so, but let's just stick with a redneck version. Hi-ya. Let's stick with that one. Hi-ya. Uh, it's, it's like, so yeah, let's move on. Uh, but here, when we talk about revival, we're usually talking about bringing something dead back to life. And, and, and I believe that's part of the problem. But I believe for a lot of people, it's not bringing the dead. It's rekindling a fire or a passion that used to be there. We're talking about uh, rekindling that, about recovering something that was in a state of neglect. Are you hearing me? A refresh. See, we need that to happen in our country. Amen? Come on, church. Come on, 11 a.m. We need that to happen in our communities. Amen? We need it to happen in our schools, in our places of business, in our government, local and, come on, we need it to happen. And I think we can agree, but in order for that to happen on a grander scale, it's got to start here with us. I heard a guy say, quit praying for a revival and go be the revival you're praying for. It's got to start here. See, I don't think the biggest problem in the church is uh, dead people. I think the biggest problem in the church is people that used to burn with a passion, used to burn with a fire, but now they need to rekindle because they neglected the things of God in their life for a very long time. Something else became a priority. Are you hearing me? Uh, we, we, we got so used to our surroundings and our culture that we just kind of adapted to whatever they say goes. We went with it. And we need a reviving. And so today, I, I want to talk about a reviving of the unnatural. And we'll get to that he, here in a minute. But, hey, can anybody relate to this? Pull that picture up. The official sports drink when I was a kid. How, how many remember this? You would be outside playing. I mean, you're going, it's hot. You get hot. You don't run inside for a bottle of water. You turn the hose on. And you drink right from the hose. And I'll find out who's really with me. If it's been hot uh, that day, what do you do first? Let it run out. Let it get to that cold water. And then I'm telling you, that's the best water you could ever, ever have straight from. Uh, listen. But then the mid-90s, early mid-90s, the water craze hit. Come on now. Anybody remember when the water craze started getting popular? Anybody like me thought this? Who in their right mind would pay for water when you got a perfectly good water hose right there? Come on. Now, now, I'm going to say I've, I've had a partial change of mind. When I say partial, I mean this. I'll buy a bottle of water. I will. But if you come to my house, don't just open the fridge and grab any bottled water. Because more times or not, we have drank what was in that bottle and have now refilled it with tap water. So, so, so that's the partial. Yeah, I'll buy one, but I'll, I'll still drink from the hose. I'll still fill my water bottle before I go to the gym with water from the tap. But a lot has changed since the water craze started and now. A lot has changed over the years. Um, I've got some different brands. Oh, April, put her microphone down here. Let me set this right here. Let me. April, can't take her anywhere anyway. I've got some different brands of bottled water here. We've got everything. I've got my Walmart water in the office. I should have brought it out because I've got everything from cheap water to the more expensive water. We've got smart water. Heads up. It's a lie. Some of you have been drinking this for three years and nothing has changed. <laughs> We've got Evian. Any fans of this? Huh? Yeah, spell backwards, it's naive. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. Aquafina, any fans? <laughs> I wish you were I wish you were that excited during worship. Um We have fun here, man. <laughs> so, uh, what about Dasani? 
Some of y'all, I ain't about to scream out now. So it ain't going to happen. Here, here, listen, whatever, can we agree with this? Because some of you would argue that one of these waters tastes better than the other. Listen, at the end of the day, whatever label is on this, what's in here? Water. That's all it's ever, it, it's, it, at the end of the day, unless you, something, it's just going to be water. Uh, it, I could put a label on this, Coca-Cola or Pepsi. Guess what? It's not going to change what's inside it. Are you hearing me? I could put a label on here, olive oil. You don't want to go cook with it. I could put a label on here, wine. Still going to be water, right? So no matter, and I don't, I'm not trying to be offensive. No matter what the world may label you or you may, be able, may decide to label yourself inside Still water. Are you hearing me? Now this over here. And in the, in the 9 a.m. I had somebody shout. It was the only time they shouted the whole service. That's a true story in it. This is this is wine. Yes, it's real wine. And before you judge me. This did not come from your offering or tithe money. This was borrowed from someone not to be named. Um, in fact, when they brought it to me, they had two bottles. Because I said, I want an expensive bottle of wine. And they said, hey, are you, are you going to open this wine? No. Okay, okay, you can use this. Because I had another one if you were going to open it. Because this is expensive. It's just decorative, but it's expensive. I can think we can all agree this here is different from this here. Come on, are you with me? They, they, they are different. They're different. All right, but that being said, let's jump in today. John chapter 2. We'll come back to this in a minute. John chapter 2. Uh, give you a little backstory. At the end of John chapter 1, John's baptizing people. Uh, he notices Jesus coming his way. He says, hey, behold, uh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He baptizes Jesus. And then the next day, John sees Jesus again, says the same thing, behold, the Lamb of God. This time, two of John's disciples decides to leave John and begin to follow Jesus. One of them is Andrew. And, and then Jesus begins this recruitment phase of his disciples. And his recruiting only consisted of two words. Anybody know what those two words were? Follow me. And it worked. And it worked. And that's where we're going to jump in today. This is John chapter 2, starting with verse 1. On the third day... A wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. One of my favorite scenes in centuries. Um, is where, uh, and this is where, if you've got any religion in you at all, it seems to come up during this scene. Because you see Jesus dancing. Fun. But then it really messes with people when Jesus is doing the Dougie. You know, or the whip and nay nay and all that. It's like I don't I don't believe Jesus would do that. I just I, I just believe for some reason our our view of Jesus for some reason is a very staunch and dignified, not too much fun to be around Jesus. But I think Jesus was fun to be around. He would have never been invited to a party if he wasn't. Are you with me? Well, well, PK, he, he didn't get invited to a party. Yeah, this wedding. Though you, you need to understand, weddings back then in this culture, they were, they were like Casey did a wedding yesterday. He was in and out of that in about an hour, hour and a half. No, weddings in the Jewish culture, they would last anywhere from three to seven days. Just constant. It was a party. It was going on. So, yes, Jesus went to a party. Parta or partay, if you want to say it that way. And I said this last week, but I think we need to remember. Yeah, God was fully, or Jesus was fully God. But he's also fully human. Fully man. 
I believe Jesus laughed. Come on. I believe Jesus told jokes. I believe Jesus pulled pranks on his disciples. What man do you know that has not pulled at least one prank on his buddies? Now, for religious, I'm not going to go so far as to say Jesus did a, hey, pull my finger. I, now, I'm not going to go as far as to say he might have did that. But I believe Jesus was fun. If you don't know what that, just ask your husband. Uh, I believe Jesus would do this thing. Hey, 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 you want some bread? Here's you some bread. Looks like bread. Oh, that smells so good. Takes a bite of it. This is a rock, Jesus. Is it? Check it again. You know. I believe, I believe Jesus was fun to be around. Now let's get going. Verse 3. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. And Jesus replied, Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Now let me ask, especially my southern moms, moms that grew up in the south. Let's say, you go home, you tell your son or daughter, hey, I need you to go clean up your room. And they respond, woman, why do you involve me with this? Once you woke up from the corner that you were slapped in, you would find that mama, i tell you why I involve you. Why do you involve me with washing your clothes? Why do you involve me with paying your phone bill? Why do you involve me taking you places? Don't you what, say that one more time. But we need to understand, when Jesus said, woman, why do you involve me? It wasn't in a disrespectful manner. This culture, that, that, it wasn't disrespectful at all. So I don't want you to think Jesus is disrespecting his mom. But I love Mary, his mom's response. Mary does not even acknowledge what Jesus says. She doesn't. I mean, I believe she gave him like a, just gave him an eye roll and then looked at the service and said this, do whatever he tells you to do. Now, let me ask let me, if you, if you're one of those persons that highlights or, or underlines things, even on your Bible app, I encourage you to highlight that part because that is the best advice I could give you. Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. That, that's the best advice I could give you. And it says, nearby stood six water jars, the kind used for Jews for ceremonial washing, each of them holding 20 to 30 gallons. 20 to 30 gallons. And get this. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, again, they're doing what Jesus told them to do. Draw some out. Take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. In other words, they did what Jesus told them to do. That's all they did. Just, I'm going to tell you, for some of you, that would change your marriage. That would change your relationships. That would change your, your faith walk if you just simply began to do whatever Jesus told you to do. Let's keep going. Verse 9. The master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew exactly where it came from. Let me ask a quick question here. Who got to see this miracle first? I tell you, it's usually those that are serving that are the first ones that get to see the miracle. It's usually those that are serving are the first ones that get to see the breakthrough happen. That, that, I'm telling you, those that are plugged in here, you're part of this, and you serve, and some, you wonder why they get excited to be able to go and serve as an usher, greeter, or in 412, or the nurse, or kids. It's not because they just love changing dirty diapers. It's because they witness a miracle. They know, I'm going to be one of the first ones that gets to see a miracle when this baby's mama or daddy, something happens in their life. They get excited because they're the first ones. The reason we've got, Jonathan, how many people are involved in the cast of centuries? Estimate. 30? 
30 plus people that show up on Sunday. Very few complaints. But they show up week in and week out. Why? Because they witness the miracles that happen during this, this production. And the, those that serve are the first ones that get to see it. So if you're not serving anywhere and you'd like to be part of a miracle, get plugged in somewhere. feel like people were being convicted. That's why they didn't say anything, Lord. Jesus tells the servants to fill the jars with water. They take it to the host of the wedding party. The host doesn't realize where it's coming from uh, or that it was water that had been poured into, here, into it. He gets himself a taste of it when they bring it to him. Look at this. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine, after the guests have done what? After the guests have had their drink on for a little bit. Let me tell you what would happen at these parties or at these weddings. When the guests would start arriving, they were serving premium top shelf wine. It was the best. But after about two or three days of drinking, that's when MD 2020 come out. That's when the Boone's Farm, man, now I'm preaching right here to the choir. Uh, that's, you know, that's when, that's when the box wine come out. And they take that box wine and, hey, just pour it in this, make them think it's the good stuff. That's when that came out because, hey, they were so wasted, they wouldn't know if it's the good stuff or the cheap stuff. And, and so they do that, they pull it out. But when the service brought this wine to, to the host, the host is like, wait. You've flipped things. You, you've done it backwards. You've, you've waited till the end to serve the good stuff. And I'm going to tell you, for some of you, that's exactly what Jesus wants to do in your life. Because there are a lot of you here, you feel like the best years of your life are in your past. That you've lived them. It's there. And everything out here, because of things you've done, it's just going to be Whatever. But God said, no, no, if you'll give me that life, the latter years of your life will be better than the first ever was. I'm telling you, he wants to flip it. God wants to hayah you, revive you. Let's go on verse 11. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. I want to give you three truths from this story that we really need to grab hold of. And I'm going to give you a warning. The first truth is the longest. So don't think, good Lord, how, how much longer are these? Other? No, the first truth is the longest. If you're taking notes, here it is. Jesus transforms the natural into the supernatural. Over the past few decades, we've saw this obsession with the supernatural, right? I mean, there's ghost shows everywhere. There's the paranormal shows. Anybody remember the, the uh, series we did? Was it last year, two years ago, on Holy Spirit, where Bob and, and Casey were ghost hunters that were sent out? See, while, while, while they were just, it was kind of a mockumentary, uh, our world is obsessed with the supernatural. They're obsessed. In fact, I read an article this week talking about why charismatic churches and Pentecostal churches are becoming more and more popular with this generation that's coming up. Because they're tired of just seeing stuff. They want to feel it. They want to experience it. They want to see God do something. And I'm telling you, that's why I, I, I believe. Here's what I know about Jesus. When, when Jesus did miracles... The crowd heard about it, and the crowds grew larger. I'm telling you, the supernatural, when people start hearing things are happening, get ready. Get ready. I should have said it like T.D. Jake, shouldn't I? Get ready, get ready, get ready. <laughs> and here's the thing. I'm not here to debate whether ghosts are real or not. Uh, but I will tell you this. You call me on a Friday night, 9, 10 o'clock at night. Say, hey, P.K., Thank you, we got a ghost in the house. I'm going to say, hey, 
do you have anywhere you can stay? Because I'm not coming over tonight. I'll wait till it's daylight outside. Then I will come over. You don't have anywhere you can stay? Well, I suggest you pray really hard or sleep in your car because this boy's not coming over there. So don't call me at night asking me to come and exercise something because there will be no exorcism until day light comes out. I'll say, hey, listen, I tell you what, you need to call Dee. Dee loves his stuff. <laughs> he lives for this. <laughs> put that phone receiver wherever you think the demons have. Just put it wherever. Just put it. <laughs> but you... You watch these shows, and it's amazing because they want so bad, it seems like, for the supernatural to actually happen. You know what I mean? They're walking through this old house or factory, and you're so on. Oh, oh, oh. Did you feel that? The cold breeze just hit me. You're walking in a 100-year-old house or factory. There's cracks in the walls. There's cracks in the windows. Yeah, you're feeling a breeze. Or, or oh, did you hear that? Listen, you got raccoons in the ceiling. This house is so old. I remember, I remember when Denise and I first moved up here. We were renting this house on the lake over, uh, over Spring City. And uh, we were up there. We were getting ready. We were upstairs in our bedroom getting ready. And we both heard this knocking sound. I'm like, what is that? Somebody knocking at the door? I go down. Nobody's at the door. I open the door to see if somebody was there. We go back up a few seconds later. I'm like, what in the world? So after much paranormal investigation, we discover a woodpecker outside of our window having a time with that tree. That woodpecker's dead now. No, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. There was no paranormal there was nothing happened there. It was a woodpecker messing up a tree. I think we can all agree. This is just water, right? It's just water. No, no matter what you label again, it's just water. This water could look in the mirror and make positive affirmations. I am wine. I am Pepsi. I am olive oil. Guess what? At the end of the day, still water. Are you following me? It, it's still water. Uh, uh, it, it could all day. I could bury this out somewhere in the dirt. Leave it there for 5, 10, 15 years. I come back after 5, 10, 15 years, dig it up. Guess what? Still water. Still water. The only way this could become this is through some supernatural means. Are you following me? See, if you're a follower of Jesus, this used to be you. Are you following me? This used to be you. You were labeled by everything the world told you were. You were labeled by, but inside you knew what, what it was. But when you met Jesus... This is what you became. And get this. The only way you went from this to this is a supernatural move of Jesus in your life. That's the only way. See, you didn't go from here to here because you were a really good person. You didn't go from here to here because you tithed and gave in the offering at church. You didn't go from here to here because, man, you read your Bible every day. You, there's only one way you went from here to here, and that's believing in Jesus as your Savior. That is the only way it happened. Check out what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Quick question. How many have done wrong in here? All right, we've got 90% truthful people, and the others are either saints or liars. We've all done it wrong. In fact, Paul says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned. All. Well, 
Y'all, y'all been with me before. You know what that Greek word all means in the Greek? All. All have sinned. And then you look at 1 John 1 and 8. He said, this, if we claim we have no sin, we're fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Anybody that does wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, don't fool yourselves. Then he makes a list. All right, here we go. We're going to play a really fun game. See if you can find yourself in the list. This is really fun. You ready? Don't raise your hand. Don't, don't, don't go. Yep, yep. That's not a, no, don't. Keep it to yourself. But let's just see if you can find yourself in the list. He says, those who continue to engage in sexual immorality, adultery, adultery, sexual perversion, homosexuality, fraud, greed, drunkenness, verbal abuse, extortion, these will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't raise your hand. Anybody find yourself anywhere in the list? And if you're sitting back thinking, nope, not me. Those two words, verbal abuse, they come from the Greek word loya, loy del rus. Here's what it means. To tear someone down with your words. You know, kind of like what you do on social media. People you don't know, they just say something or post something you don't like, so you tear them down with your words. Come on. Yeah. According to what we read, again, don't raise your hand, but how many would go, yeah, guilty, guilty. And here's the thing. Do you know who Paul's writing to? Christians, the church. He's writing to the church telling them these things, not people outside the church, in the church. He's looking at this community of believers, and then what he says next, it describes Watts Bar Community Church to a T. Look at this. A number of you know from experience what I'm talking about. For not so long ago, you were on that list. But now you are clean, cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Paul says, this used to be you. But because you were cleansed, this is now you. Come on now. So, Keller, why do we need a supernatural experience to change us? Because we don't have it within us to change ourselves. If we could have changed ourselves, we would have done it a long time ago. Come on. If we could have quit the sin, the addiction, the, the whatever it is in our lives on our own, we would have done it a long time ago. So we need a supernatural move of God. Well, you say, well, well, why? Because you need a supernatural, you need the supernatural to help you stop, help stop your mouth from reacting like it naturally does. You need the supernatural to help you quit doing what you've been doing for years. You need the supernatural to help you quit talking down to people. You need the supernatural to change things in your life. You need the supernatural to help you stop being a jerk to your spouse, your kids, your co-workers. You need that in your life. You need something different. Let's see. Today I got up here and I started preaching. Let's see if this works. And I just started drinking all this water. Let's say the whole time I'm up here preaching, I'm drinking water. I mean, I am down. I, I go through all four of these bottles and then some. The worst thing that's going to happen to me is I'm going to have to pee really bad. When I say, when I give the altar call and you bow your heads, I'm going to say, hey, just sit in the silence of the Lord real quick. And I'm going to run to the bathroom. That's the worst. Now, let's say when I started preaching, I cracked this open, and um, I played a little game. Hey, every time somebody doesn't say amen, you take a shot. (laughs) 
Too late now. I'm just halfway through the bottle. Let's say I start drinking this from the time I start preaching. And I, I mean, by, by the time I'm finished, man, I've gone through almost the whole bottle. Is something going to be different about me? Absolutely. I'm going to be trying to stand on this table singing all my rowdy friends are coming over tonight. Why? Because the more of this I drink, the less like me I become. The more unnatural I become. The more of Jesus you drink in, the less like you you become. You become unnatural. Are you following me, church? I'm telling you. The more of Jesus I get into me, the more unnatural. The more unnatural, the more less of me. Do you know what our worship team does here on Sundays? Yeah, they lead you in worship, but you know what they're really trying to do? Be salt. Do you know what I'm doing when I preach up here every Sunday or get up here and one of the pastors ex exhorts you? You know what I'm trying? I'm trying to be salt. Well, what do you mean? You ever ate something salty? What does it do? Makes you thirsty. We're up here trying to make you thirsty for something deeper, for something more meaningful in your life, for something that's that other than, than, than this shallow religion that you've been used to. I want you to be thirsty. I, I want you to become so thirsty for Jesus that people, you've drank so much of Jesus that people will say, that's not the Kelly I knew. That's not the Stacey Harris I knew. That's not the Casey I knew. That's not the Derek I knew. Well, what happened? Well, I just kept drinking Jesus, drinking Jesus, and I, the less like me I became and the more like Jesus I did become. We need a reviving of the unnatural. What do you mean? It's natural for us to hold on to unforgiveness. That's natural. It's unnatural to forgive someone that's hurt you and done you wrong. It's natural to allow my emotions to get the best of me and tell you how I feel. It's unnatural for me to respond in love and grace towards you. The second truth, I told you the first one was the longest. Jesus transforms a deficit into abundance. You need to know that. See, Jesus is at this wedding, at this party. They run into a deficit, right? No wine. There's a deficit. They're, they're running. Jesus' mom says, hey, do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Jesus tells them, get these uh, six water jars, fill them up. Anybody remember how, what the Bible says, how much they hold? 20 to 30 gallons. Okay, so let's go right in the middle. Let's say they hold 25 gallons. 25 times 6, that's 150 gallons of water, right? Right? 150 gallons. So this is what I'm getting at. They had a deficit. Jesus saw the deficit. And Jesus doesn't show up and give them one glass of wine. Jesus doesn't show up and just give them one bottle of wine. Jesus gives them 150 gallons of premium wine. What? And that's what Jesus wants you to do for you. He wants to do the best. What you consider the deficit, he's wanting to turn it into an abundance in your life. Here's what I'm convinced of. Jesus wants more for your life than you do. I'm convinced of this, that there are people, even here today or watching online, that will not surrender their lives completely to God because they have a distorted view of God. I mean, all, all they think is this. They're under the assumption, all God wants to do is take away stuff from me, take stuff away from me. That's all God wants me to do. And that's a partial truth. Uh, can I tell you, here's what God wants to take. God wants to take your guilt, your shame, your past, your fear, your doubts, your addictions, your hurt, your sin. He does want to take those things away from you. But he also wants to replace them with peace, hope, joy, and a purpose and passion for life. Amen. Then there are others here today that would say, Kelly, if Jesus wants to transform my deficit into an abundance, why am I not blessed? That's a valid question. 
You remember uh, me telling you to underline or highlight, hey, when Jesus, when Jesus' mom tells the servants, do whatever he tells you to do? What would happen, church, if you and I, if us as a church, took his word at face value and simply began to do what he told us to do? Would our communities be different? Come on. Absolutely. I believe if those, just those that call themselves Christian will begin to do what Jesus told them to do, our communities would be different. See, here's the truth. Most, if not all, the pain, the mistakes and failures in our past have come because we did the opposite of what Jesus told us to do. We did what we wanted to do. Come on now, let's get real. Well, PK, I think I've done what God wants me to do. I think I've done what he told me to do. Well, let's look at the wedding again. Remember, Jesus tells them, what does he tell them first? Fill the water jar. They do it. Go pack, go give it to the host. They do it. Here's my point. Intentional, consistent obedience is the difference maker. Intentional, consistent obedience. What do you mean? I mean, showing up even when you don't feel like it or want to. Loving people when you don't feel like they deserve to be loved. Honoring God with their tithe and offering even when we're not seeing anything in return. Come on. Forgiving those that have hurt you when you'd rather hold on to it. Or showing up and serving when you don't want to. It's consistent, intentional obedience. Now, it's March 12th, 2023. What, what would you think or say if you heard me talking to Ben? Ben, I worked out January 3rd this year. Here we are, March 12th. I haven't seen any difference. Or, or I'm talking, hey, you know what? Uh, I started, I, I decided I was going to start eating healthy. Well, January 3rd, 4th, and 5th, I made great decisions, ate healthy. Here I am. I haven't lost. In fact, I've gained weight. You say, well, that's just stupid, Kelly. You've got to continually, intentionally show up even the days you don't want to. You've got to make right decisions even when your mind is telling you you want this sugar or you want this. You've got to make decisions to want this, to, to, do, to do this. The same way it is with God. We've got to intentionally and consistently be obedient to what God says. Not, I tithed once, I ain't seen God do nothing with it. Come on. I forgave this person Still holding on to it. Forgive them again and again and again and again. Come on now. It's intentional, consistent obedience. That's what it takes. So if there's an area in your life that you're struggling with, maybe you feel like it's falling apart. No matter what you do, nothing changes. Then ask yourself, am I being intentional and consistent in my obedience to God in this area? And if not, it's not that Jesus doesn't want to bless you. Maybe it's that you're tying his hands by saying, I know what your word says, God, but I believe my way's better. The third truth and final truth for me, store if I can get the team to come on. Jesus transforms ordinary into priceless. He transforms the ordinary into priceless. There was a show, I don't think it's on anymore, Jeff Foxworthy had this show called What, what It's Worth or What's It Worth. And, and the, the gist of the story would be people would bring things to him that either had been in their family a long time or they had bought at a yard sale. They just want to find, hey, is it worth anything? What's it worth? And one of the stories on that show, one episode featured this painting. This man had been given this painting by his deceased mom. And, and the painting was this clown face that actually looked like something your kid would bring home from kindergarten and you would just put it on the fridge just out of love. His wife hated the painting. In fact, one day, his wife had packed, put it in this box to be taken to Goodwill. The husband saw it and says, 
Baby, my wife, my mom gave me this. I'm not giving it away. So she said, okay, let's put it away. So they wrapped it up, threw it under their, their uh, bed in the bedroom. For years, it lay under the bed. Didn't think really anything of it. So one of them got the idea of, you know what, let's just have it checked out. See, see what it's worth. Turns out, underneath their bed for years, had been an original Picasso worth thousands and thousands of dollars. Let me ask you, do you think if they had known the value of what they had, they would have treated it differently? It would have been on display. They'd have had it in something that no harm could come to. Yeah, they would have treated it very, very differently. Well, one of my biggest fears as your pastor that you'll go through this life not truly knowing the value or worth of your life. That you were created for a purpose. See, this story opens up telling us that there's a wedding celebration going on in, in the village uh, uh, of Cana in Galilee. You know, this, this was the only time that Jesus traveled to that little town. It was the only time. Jesus went there. And, and Cana of Galilee was not a big city. Like It wouldn't be like a New York, a Atlanta, a L.A., even Nashville. It would be more considered like 10 Mile, Tennessee. Very small town, very unheard of town. And here's why I believe it's important. You need to understand, Jesus went out of his way to a place that he had never been and would never go again to do a miracle in someone's life. And he's still going out of his way to reach you, to tell you how valuable you are, how much you mean, how much a price, uh, how, what he could do with your life if it was just fully surrendered. that one of the biggest challenges a lot of you face is you don't see that value in yourself. You can't see the value that He places on you. Because I believe if we could actually see the value that God places on us, if we could actually see how God see, see us, how God sees us, we would begin to live differently. We would serve differently. We'd show up at church differently. This stuff here, really worth that much. Let's say, I, I don't even know. I think the smart water is the most expensive one up here. It's not that much. It's just water. That's why I can throw it to men. This right here, I'm not about to toss to men from across the room. I'm not about to treat it just any way I want. Why? Because I know the value of it. I'm going to handle it with care. I'm going to take care of it. Tell you, when you begin to realize the value that God places on you, you begin to live different. You begin to treat your life different. You begin to believe that there is purpose in your life other than what the label you've been put on by somebody else. that most of you have settled for less than kind of walk with Jesus because you really don't see the value of your life. But you don't really see. You, you, you'll see Casey, Ben, my wife, Pastor Amanda, and you'll say, yeah, I, I see they've got purpose on their life. But you need to understand you've got the same purpose. turn out just like your mom or dad who told you this was your life and there's really nothing you can do about it PK you don't understand I 
I've got a bad past. I've got a bad sexual past. A past filled with addiction. I've got a divorce past. I've got this, that kind of past. Can I tell you, God is less interested about your past. He is more interested in your future. And the thing is, if you, when you receive Jesus, you know what he says you are? Brand new. Brand new. It's not because of anything you did. It's because of what he did. I don't know. Maybe if we started seeing ourselves the way God sees us. Maybe we'd quit cutting ourselves. We saw ourselves the way God sees us. Maybe we'd quit comparing ourselves and trying to be something like they're telling us we've got to be like. If we began to see ourselves as God sees us, maybe, maybe we wouldn't have this eating disorder trying to look a certain way. If we began to see ourselves as God sees us, maybe we wouldn't try to find our acceptance and love jumping from one relationship to another. you'd stop seeing yourself as worthless if you saw him how God sees you. God wants to revive you so that your value is solely in him. What determines the value of something? Well, somebody pays for it, right? That's why I can go to Walmart and I can get a 50 cent water out of the container. I can go up to Neyland Stadium for that same water. I'll pay $4. And I'm willing to pay for it. You want to know how valuable you are? I mean, it's a, he tells us in the most recognizable passage of Scripture, John 3, 16, For God so loved you that he gave his only son for you that you wouldn't have to die. You wouldn't have to live a life of purposelessness. You wouldn't have to live a life of hopelessness. But you could have life. You wouldn't have to perish. So if, if the value of something is what determined by what somebody will pay for it, he paid a high price for you. how God sees you. You don't see the value. When you look in the mirror, you don't see something priceless. You see the label that was put on you. Worthless. Addict. Sinner. Homosexual. Queer. Lesbian. Gay. You see that label. got somebody with an anger problem. They always lose their cool. Somebody that jumps from one bed. You see that label that was put upon you. But if you could look in the mirror, you would see that you are God's reflection. And that God sees you as priceless. Heads bowed. Raise your hand. Yeah, absolutely. Come on. 
that's one of the things. I'm telling you, this affects older and younger people. Keep them up. Keep them up. I want to see it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. You put your hands down. What do you want to do here, Holy Spirit? So here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask your prayer team to come down. illustration, actually not in the message, but during worship this morning, me and Casey and my son-in-law and and, and uh, my grandson, we went and played some ball yesterday in Bo, and, and I had my high top basketball shoes on, and I had, I had them on all day, man. I, I take them off last night, and I noticed my, ain't, my left, I was like, good Lord, what have I done? I didn't notice it before. You know why I didn't notice it? I had a support wrapping that spot and helping hold me up. And it wasn't until I took it off that I noticed, oh, man. And this morning I got up, still feeling a little sore. I put on these shoes or a little bit of hot top, and I felt that support just like I felt pretty good. That's what this is come up here and you allow someone to join with you, that support is wrapping you and reminding you who you are, that you're worth something, that you're not who they said you were all those, all those years, all that time, but God's going to begin to whisper you, and so I'm going to ask you to step out, if you raise your hand, if you didn't raise your hand, but you need this, step out right now and come on down, come on. Come on, there were many 